Well, it's half term. I'm so pleased that you guys have made it today. Give yourselves a round of applause. Forget about all those who've drifted off on holidays and stuff. Excuses. Terrible. Actually, it's good to be back here. I've been out of the loop for a few weeks uh, working. And I walked in, said hello to a few people this morning. And I said, is it your first time? No, I've been here a few weeks. And uh, I'm so sorry about that. But uh, part of my role at Tier Fund is that we've been mobilizing the church um, across Merseyside. 65 churches ran events, prayed, came together. And we had a big shindig last weekend at the cathedral. Loads of hassle. It wasn't worth it. But it's good to be back. Uh, I want to uh, journey through James. Uh, I think we kicked this off last week. And for a while we do these quite exciting series. Then we thought a few weeks ago, why don't we uh, just take some time, slow down, and just journey through uh, one of the meaty books of the Bible. And uh, today I want to talk around, I think it's the, uh, the third chapter. Well, it is the third chapter in James. And uh, I want to give some context. I'm not sure whether you're a fan of James, nor where, who James was uh, in relation to other people. So I've got a few facts on the screen for us. Uh, first of all, James was the younger brother of Jesus. Did you know that? Of course you did. Easy. Uh, the letters of James were some of the earliest in the New Testament. Did you know that? Oh, you guys are showing off this morning. Um, silence means no, by the way. Uh, and... Uh, it was also, the book of James was written after the persecution under Herod Agrippa around AD 44. So we're talking just a few years really after Jesus uh, ascended into glory. Uh, oh, it's there. Good. And, um, and then also we know it's prior to Galatians because of uh, the things that have been explained, unpacked. So we kind of know when this book was written. So then uh, Galatians was written 48 to 49. The council in Jerusalem where it kicked off. Uh, was 49 to 50. So this is kind of the timelines that we are juggling with. Then I want to throw some other facts at you, just because I know some people love facts. So here we go. Next slide, please. The Passover, AD 30 uh, slash 33. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. We, we kind of know that, right? A big point in history. Uh, Pentecost happened, the Holy Spirit came, and it was the birth of the local church. You guys are asleep this morning. Got to join me. And then we know Saul's conversion. Saul or Paul, he persecuted the church, had a name change, had an epiphany, uh, and that happened 34, 35. Then the persecution of the church happened, and they were scattered, 41, 44. James writes to the 12 tribes where we are joining this morning. Um, as you can see there, 44 to 49. Barnabas and Paul, then it kind of speeds up. Barnabas and Paul's first missionary journey, 47, 48. Um, where lots of the New Testament was written, encouraging the early church. Then the last bits, which are kind of like just a blur, but James is stoned to death in the early 60s. This is not 1960s, this is like a long time ago. This wasn't with the Beatles. Uh, Paul is martyred in Rome, 64-65. And then Jerusalem and the temple, which was what Jesus spoke about, are destroyed in AD 70. So now you're all experts and theologians, uh, we're okay. But that's a bit of a timeline. So we joined James, the brother of Jesus, in the middle of this. Did you know that, and, and there's two kind of Bible verses. I'll send these later on if you want them. There's two parts in the Bible, the New Testament, where Jesus' own family, where his brothers and sisters said to him, Jesus, 
just don't bother with the ministry. Come home and as the oldest, the oldest brother, just take up your responsibilities in the house. Can you believe that? James didn't actually believe uh, Jesus was the real deal, Scripture tells us, until after the resurrection. Imagine your own brother questioning your life and everything you say is going to happen to you. So we know all of this through the ages and stages that we can kind of put locations, times, and where they were in the world. Um, I want to get into it. Today is about controlling the tongue and wisdom. That's a meaty topic, isn't it? I'm not sure what you're like. Do you ever give slaver to people? Just we've got any just terriers in the house today who just go for it. I want to let them know peace of my mind for sure. Or perhaps for some of us, we run away with it and think, I've done it again. I shouldn't have said that. And actually, James is a really amazing piece of scripture that just spoke to me. I want to journey through it. So James. Uh, chapter 3, um, if you are uh, tracking. 3.3. Three. Dear brothers and sisters, this is to all of us. Not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make mistakes. For if we control our tongues, we would be perfect. And could also control ourselves in every other way. Amen. Hallelujah. We all agree with that. It's common sense. And when he talks about um, teachers here... Uh, he's literally meaning at that moment in time uh, in the culture if you were a teacher you were quite esteemed within the community loads of people as the persecution of the church happened they thought I'll get around that by becoming a teacher therefore I won't be judged for my Christianity for my faith but people will look at me through um, rose-tinted glasses instead so actually he's addressing people saying don't become a teacher of the word just to get around the tough times actually we need to do this with all seriousness all of you guys shouldn't become teachers so he's kind of giving this quick warning Um, then it goes on he says this we can make a large horse go wherever we want by the means of a small bit in its mouth and a small rudder can make a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. I've got a quick question. Is a person who steers a ship a pilot? Is that the right word? I wasn't sure. I thought it was quite clever language because I thought, okay, I see what he's saying here, steering. I thought it was a captain. Anyway, um, even though the winds are strong, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. We've all said things. We've all done things. Let's be honest. We've all wished we could take back those words. We've all rushed in and said something that we thought maybe it was just a bit too close to comfort. Or perhaps you're just out and out, let me loose. I want to tell somebody some truth today. I don't know. Um, but, so James is kind of alluding to, to this idea um, of the tongue is this uh, fearsome weapon that can be used in all sorts of contexts or we can use it to build each other up. So then we jump in at the end of verse 5 and it says this, But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and among all the body parts, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is the whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it, for it, it's, uh, uh, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Verse 7, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and fish, But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sounds a bit extreme, doesn't it? Sometimes it praises our Lord the Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. Just think about that one for a moment. That hit me. That was quite quite powerful. Sometimes our tongue praises the Lord, our Father, and sometimes it curses those 
who were made in his image. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? And the context there is that in certain parts of Israel, there was fresh springs that literally did bubble uh, salty and fresh. But it meant that the local uh, residents couldn't uh, take water from those points. It was kind of, it was damaged, it was, it was corrupted, as you can imagine. So he's kind of alluding to this local stuff that people know about. So people are thinking, yeah, that's really clever, James. I see what you're saying there. Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So James points to the dangers, doesn't he? And I know this is such a simple uh, uh, analogy that he's using in our own lives. But actually, when we think about the things we say, the things we say over other people, uh, the tone and the tenor, you know, this is huge stuff. How much time do we commit to try and uh, perhaps work on the, the things we're saying or the blessings or the curses? Uh, at Vineyard Conference last year, it was just, it was wonderful. I still I listen to the talks now. And there was this guy, this American guy called John Tyson. You might have heard of him. Uh, a young pastor, uh, leads a massive church in the States. And he was saying that for a few years, he'd been doing research on blessings and curses. And I think I shared this, I almost thought, oh no, not one of those heavy hitting talks. But actually he said, you know what, we can curse somebody just with a, a raised eyebrow. And I thought, that's quite fascinating. So he went on to say about how people in his life had said things or just looked at him in a certain way. And straight away he'd adopted something in, he, in, his, in his psyche, in his, in his kind of demeanor, that he, just, he, he felt rubbish about himself. Isn't that so fascinating? This idea that what you say and what you do can, can really give life, speak life, but can also destroy. So James is alluding to the early church saying, guys, be careful what we say to each other. Be careful because your words do have power. You know, we are spirit-filled people. You know, we have the opportunity to, to bless and to, and to sow into. But equally, man, we can tear people down. On a scale of zero to 100... How much of, of our verbal stuff is used for uplifting, would we say? And this is not a, a point in the finger, this is just a quick question. How much do we use uh, our words to, to, to speak life? Or do we hang about on pessimist parades for, for too long? And so often we think good things, don't we, about people, about a good job that someone's doing, or that was fantastic, wow. But does it ever get to, to, to verbalizing it, to, to encouraging and, and speaking life? It's been an amazing journey, I think, for our church over the last year. It feels like we've planted again in so many ways. And actually, when you look at the signs of life that are happening at the moment, and, and the, thing, you know, the, the guys who were running with the ladies' day yesterday, you know, it's just incredible stuff. Alpha, for the last five weeks here, you know, 40-odd people journeying through just some of the basics. Why are we here? What's Jesus all about? How can I have faith? It's just been amazing. We look at feeding the local community. Uh, we've got a leaders uh, retreat this weekend for, for guys who are just serving in various areas of church. It's amazing that people are suddenly thinking, do you know what? Like, I feel empowered, but equally I can speak life into situations and into people's lives. What a challenge. So James is calling us to this. And I think actually there's good news for us. As the bus driver, I want to say to us today, we have good news. Because the good news is that actually the Holy Spirit can help us in these areas. 
We're not lost at sea. We don't have to be negative if that's our first go-to. We don't have to stay in the pessimist camp if we don't want to. You know, we can change. We can be transformed. I love how uh, the gospel uh, so beautifully describes the empty tomb of Jesus. And I had a friend who went to, uh, to Israel uh, about three weeks ago, and he brought some pictures back and he showed me. And he said, this is the spot, this is the spot where Jesus was, was, was buried, but he, but he rose again. And, and he said, there was just so much power. The whole group who were with us, were just, were just, we were weeping. And these are like tough guys, and we just knew, we just sensed. Another picture, there's like this little doorway. It's like half the size of you and I, that you kind of creep into and it opens up. And, and you get this kind of amazing image of this empty tomb. And, and I, I can't think of any other word but transformative. What does that empty tomb mean for, for our lives? What does it mean for our decision making, for our leaps of faith, for, for our future, for our families, for our health? What does that empty tomb speak over our lives? And what does it speak over the way we, we say things? And, and, and the fact that we can, we can speak and sow life in other people. I think it's transformative. What do you think? I think it, it brings peace to a troubled heart and a troubled soul. It's incredible just to imagine that picture of, of Jesus coming out of the tomb. And as he did, the power that it means for us and for those around us. It's a great picture for all of us, I think, just to, to ponder over for a while. And then James goes on on this second bit, and he kind of like goes off track here, but it makes sense with the first bit. And he says, true wisdom comes from God. And he jumps straight back in and he says, if you are wise, let me see a show of hands if you would describe yourself as wise. None of us. <laughs> mm, yeah, sometimes, yeah, wise, brilliant, why not? If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it, Matt, by living an honourable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Rewind. If you are wise, prove it by living an honourable life. Doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. Remember St. Paul wrote, and he warned people, he said, actually... Um, Good works doesn't lead to eternal life. You know that whole piece in scripture? So you kind of like try to re-educate people. You can't just do good jobs to get into heaven. But actually, when we look at James, James isn't contradicting him, but James is actually saying, um, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, some of the natural stuff that comes out of us, this spring that comes out of us, is good works. Life begins to bubble from us. And it's this picture, isn't it, that when we are filled, that actually around us, everyone else begins to benefit. So he's kind of saying, hey church, here's a little benchmark, check your pulse today. You know, if, if you are living a life for Christ, are you doing good works? Are you a force for good in your local community? Are you a force for good in your family, with your friendship group? Have you got good plans uh, for, for your life? But if you are bitterly jealous and there is a selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. He goes in. For, where, uh, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. She's so kind of painting this picture. Christ filled and just living an earthly life. Again, there's good news. 
that each of us today as we come into church for the first time or the seventh millionth time, we can be filled and refreshed that God wants us to, to have wisdom. And he says this in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure, is also peace-loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. And it is, isn't it? When we come face to face, whether it's in worship, whether it's a worship CD, whether it's church or a small group, when we have those encounters with our living God, doesn't it begin to transform us? A worship leader a while ago shared this brilliant story with me. And they said, there was someone in church and um, this person clearly had a chip on their shoulders. And there they were, uh, stood in church, arms crossed, not budging in all of the songs. You know, like nothing coming out of their mouth. You can imagine I had a tough week, I'm fed up. Anyway, third song hits, and, and suddenly the arm like, begins to twitch. Fourth song, ah! and it's just like this idea, actually, when we encounter God and God begins to move in our life, we, we can't help but be moved and transformed. And James is saying, hey church, each of us can be in this place. Are you in church today needing to be transformed? Just, just to be filled afresh, to be renewed to be brought closer to God. And here's some of the, the, the signs of when the Spirit of God is alive and active. Peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And verse uh, 18, the final verse says, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That's a great picture, isn't it? That's so good. So I did a bit of research about wisdom. And I could find, in some limited research, 99 references across the Bible that all relate to wisdom. 99. That's amazing. So the Bible talks loads about wisdom. Why? Well, actually, when we think about the heart of God and his, his personality and, and what he wants for each of us, it kind of makes sense that he, he kind of throws these breadcrumbs in. Hey, I want you to have wisdom. I want you to lead full, informed lives with me in the middle. Then I rewinded. That's one of those old school rewind things. Back to Genesis. And in Genesis, you have this story where, where Adam and Eve have this conversation with a serpent. And he says, we know the story. What does he say? Take her. Bite. And uh, she takes a bite. And um, she takes a bite. And then suddenly, you know, all hell um, is let loose, literally. And uh, it's this idea that actually, that was all about wisdom, wasn't it? Wanting knowledge, to, to attain more in our heads, to, to understand what God understands. And we haven't really got it right since then. Because actually, the dictionary definition, as you'll see on the screen, says that wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Think about that for a moment. It's on the screen, you'll see it. It kind of makes sense. So when we look at Eve at the start of time, I think true godly wisdom, as James alludes to, true wisdom comes from God. Because true wisdom, yes, it does have um, experience, knowledge, and it wears up good judgment. But equally, it puts God at the center, doesn't it? It says, God, what's your thoughts? I, I want to I wanna know what, what you say about this. I'm going to consult scripture. I want to see why have you told me 99 times to be wise in these various situations. Okay, I'm listening. Okay, when I get with believers, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to what, what's going on. I'm going to seek advice and wise counsel. Someone once said, um, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that's interesting, isn't it? That idea of surrounding ourselves with wise counsel. People who champion us and want the best for us, who pray, who, who actually uh, have good wisdom, wisdom themselves, have lived life, have good experiences, and live with God at the center. It's this idea of, of decision making. So, so there's 99 references in the Bible around wisdom, and I bet there's more as well. So what does wisdom mean for us? Why is it so important? True wisdom, as James says, comes from God. And it's the knowledge that God should be consulted. God, what have you got for my life? Uh, Spirit of God, can you reveal more of you to me? And I suppose the quick question would be, what are some of the moments in our lives right now that are taking decisions that perhaps we would love some wise counsel on? What's the last thing that we Googled? This idea of searching for knowledge and understanding. But actually today, pausing and saying, God, even with all of those factors, what's your will for my life? What do you say? Would you speak to me? Would I know your leading? And James tells us that when we begin to consult God and when we are led by his wisdom, the fruit of that is joy and it's peace. This idea that we're content. Based on the number of people in this room today, I can say, that, you know, stats-wise, there'll be people who, haven't, who aren't content. There's, a, there's things just bubbling away, issues and circumstances. But today we have a moment and a chance to come into his presence. He was already here. And to say, here's what's going on in my life. And you are the anchor for all that I am. You are truth. God, you're my foundation. And I put who I am on you. So I want us in a moment to make a, uh, a, a symbolic statement. And we're going to share communion. And isn't it amazing, that idea of coming to the table and, and just again to participate in, in, in this bigger story. At Jesus, we, rem- we remember who you are and what you've done for us. And as we do this, we, we go into our lives with power. Consulting you on everything. Whether that's finances, jobs, health. The Mr. or Mrs. Location. You know, just whatever's going on. Taking these moments to be led by him. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we're encouraged to consult God. And the promise is that he'll lavish generously on us wisdom and understanding. Let's pray and then we'll take communion. Lord, all joking aside, life can feel like a bit of a bus journey. We're heading in this direction looking at sights. Sometimes taking the wrong turn, other times just beautifully stumbling into greatness. And Lord, we thank you that each of us are here today, living and breathing, and that you've called us and you know us, that you have great things in store for us. We thank you that you care about the details in our lives, not just the spiritual stuff, but equally just the, you want us to have wisdom, you want us to understand, to make right choices. Thank you that you're a father who cares. 
And Lord, we pray today for your church, for each and every one of us. Lord, we ask for wisdom. We ask for your understanding to see like you see things, to understand how you understand. And Lord, whether it's just the tiny, intricate details of our lives or whether for some of us we feel like we're at a cliff edge, Lord, we don't want to move from this moment without saying, come and move in our lives. Spirit of God, would you reveal more of uh, the, the Father heart of God to us? That we would know the right steps to take, the right decisions to make that are healthy and wholesome, that have amazing impact on our lives but also the lives around us. And Lord, we come today to you in surrender, in total weakness, knowing that we haven't got it all together. And Lord, we thank you that you promise to strengthen us, that in our weakness you are made strong. And we're here today, your church as a living sacrifice, worshipping you. Lord, would you use our lives, would you use us for greatness? Lord, as we take communion, we ask that you'd give wisdom all over this room. That we'd know your leading, your presence and your voice. And Jesus, we'd take a moment, just think about our lives, all that's going on. The busyness of the coming week. We give you thanks for all of the blessings in our life, for the good things. Yeah, Lord, we thank you for those. We're so grateful that you died and that you rose again, and that there's power available for each and every one of us right across our lives. And Lord, we also come to you in petition, asking you to move in the uncertain times, in those situations, to help us with that person. And Jesus, we surrender to you today. We give you those anxieties and those pressures. We give you that situation. And as we breathe out, we just relax. And we, we just know that we can trust you. And when we think about this table, Jesus, we're grateful that you invite us continually, forever, into a relationship with you. An invitation to come, to sit and recline in your presence. To listen to you, to spend time with you. And Lord, that's why we're here, to spend time with you. And we think about your words to your disciples in the book of Matthew where you said, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you. It's an invitation for everyone who wants to be a part of it. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. 
And Lord, we, we stand humbled that you forgive us of the things we've said, of the things we've done and thought, for those moments we've hidden other things. And Lord, you wash it all away as we approach your table. And you extend your grace. You're incredible. So for some of us, we might want to just come and, and, and t- partake from this quietly and, and reflect as we worship. For others, you might want to backflip down the aisle. You know, this is good news. Thinking, yes, that's right. Just do whatever you want to do. But it's here prepared. We're going to worship and go for it. And as we do, please come at the invitation of Jesus again and partake in his body. And then the last note I was thinking about this morning, this idea of wisdom. For many of us, we try and do life ourselves, don't we? You know, we, we think if I can just map things out, I've, I've, I've got plans and I've got ideas and dreams. But actually, I got the impression that there'll be people here today who are just tired We've, you've tried it your own way. You've tried to be clever in your thinking and, and you're not where you want to be. Things just aren't where you, you want them to be. And there's an invitation for you today as well to come and hang out with Jesus. He invites you to come and just say, I surrender. I want to do it your way. And the stories right across this room of people who've trusted in Jesus and their lives have been transformed. The same power is available for you today. So come, do business with Jesus. Come and hang out in his presence. Let him drive the bus of your life. Amen.